Beginning my day with a Bible devotional has absolutely been the best thing I could have ever done for myself. My time in the Old Testament only proves to me again and again and again that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. When I'm reading the New Testament, I read it within the context of when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the New Testament is just an expansion of one of those two thoughts. Those are the two lenses I look through when I'm reading the Old or the New Testament. So get a cup of coffee, sit back, and join me as I think with my mouth open. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another day in the Lord's Neighborhood and to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am Page, your caffeine-imbued host. And here's my caffeine. Mm. And they all sang together. In the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very good. And it is very good. Well, today we're going to continue our jaunt. First Samuel, we're going to be in First Samuel chapter 27. Now, in chapter 26, uh, David had his last meeting with Saul, but David isn't convinced that Saul's going to leave him alone. And David is going to go spend the next year, year and a half uh, with the Philistines, actually, his enemies. It's kind of strange how this happens. But uh, let's get to it. There's a, this is also one of the, this is one of the parts of David's story, which kind of helps me believe that the Bible rings true. Let me explain this for a second. Usually, uh, legend epics, when they're talking about heroes and, and legends, they present this larger-than-life portrayal of whoever the character is, whoever they're talking about. And when, one thing the Bible does is, even with a man like David, it presents his story, warts and all. I mean, we see that he is really just a man doing what every God-fearing man tries to do, which is try to navigate through this life with God. And there's mistakes made all the time. Uh, David is not perfect. And I think this is actually one of those times in his life where he was not as filled with faith. I mean, after all that God has done for him, through him, and to him, he flees from Saul into the lands of the enemies that want the destruction of Israel. It's kind of, this is part of what makes me think this story rings true because this is a period in his life where, um, like I said, he was filled with a lot less faith in God. And he was, but at the same time, as a family man, as a leader of this group of 600 men with all their families and his families, uh, he was doing the best he could with what he knew at the time. And sometimes when that happens, I won't say you make wrong decisions because God can use, you know, the Paul says uh, uh, that God, um, God will take everything we do and work it out for the good, if we're his called out ones. Um, David is one of God's called out ones, and God is going to use even this time to work 
things out for David. But this isn't a faith-filled moment for David. And that's kind of like why I like this part of the story because it shows that David is like me. He's not this mythical larger-than-life figure. He was a man trying to do the best he could at the time. And who hasn't been in that kind of situation? The same thing happened to me years ago uh, when I got laid off and got fired from my job. Uh, I did the best that I could do with the knowledge that I had. And it was a rather disastrous decision. I started a video production company that sucked every bit of money I had up and tossed it in the trash. I was doing the best I could with what I knew. But the one part of that decision that was missing was that I did not go to God with it. I really did not put it before God. But God used it and he shaped me and molded me and taught me some incredible things through that experience. That's kind of what I figure is going on here. David has a family. He has two wives. He has family. his children. He has uh, 600 minis in charge of. The pressure of that kind of leadership has to be immense. And so David did the best he could do. He wanted to protect his people. So he makes a deal with a king in Philistia, his avowed enemies. How he pulls this off? Man, that's some serious statecraft right there. But let's get to it. Chapter 27. David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Mech, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Now, I have a note here from Study Bible. The rift between David and Saul is very conspicuous now. This is no longer a secret. Everybody knows about it. Achish readily accepts David's presence, doubtless hoping to benefit from David's allegiance to his own struggles against Saul. Achish is having his own fights against Saul, and he thinks, oh my gosh, if I can just get Saul's former best general, that could be nothing but positive for this king in Philistia, right? So each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Abinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, who was the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So Saul was wary of this of Achish. So Saul wasn't ready to push a battle with Achish just to get David back. Now, David and his 600 men or so, they seek refuge in Philistia with Achish. If you remember a chapter or two ago, David had gone to the same king for help and the king had threatened him. And David was so uh, desperate that he had to pretend to be insane to escape the clutches of that king. And he goes back to this king. And I'm just, I don't know 
what was going on in David's mind, but maybe he shows up with 600 armed men and that gives him a little bit more uh, value to Achish. I don't know. But he goes back to that same king that had threatened him earlier. And the fact that Gath, where this king lived, is like 30 rugged miles northwest of where David was in the desert of Ziph, it had to involve quite a bit of hardship to traverse that. 600 men and all their families, his two wives. Oh. And this is the part of the story that convinces me of the reality of this portion of scripture. We've heard where David has learned lessons of faith. Uh, he, he's killed lions. He killed bears when he's shepherding sheep. He killed Goliath. He had risen, had a meteoric rise in influence and power within the uh, rule of Saul to become Saul's primary general, his best general. And time and again, he'd seen God deliver him from the hand of Saul again and again and again. This is, in one hand, it could be a little disappointing to see David all of a sudden being afraid of Saul to the point that he would flee to a king in Philistia for safety. It might, his anxiety might be heightened because now he had family to take care of and his men have families to take care of. I mean, 600 men, think about this, with their wives and children, that's quite a large group of people. And now David feels responsibility for them. And odds are, a great deal of these people did not have the same faith in Jehovah that David did. And David has to care for them. So you can see how he might have felt pressured by the situation to do what he did in going to the king of Philistia for help and for safety. I remember when I went through my time uh, after I got fired from my job in the IT industry, how... I did the best that I could do with what I knew. And it didn't turn out well for me. But I I recognized the pressure that David was under here. I had a wife. I had two children in college and I had a wife and we had a house and and I I did the best that I could do to keep the house and I started a new business and the business failed gloriously if you want to use if that's a good word for that. And I lost all my money. I went bankrupt. My partner nearly went bankrupt. Uh, it was a hard, hard time uh, for my partner and I. And But I did the best that I could do with what I knew to do. My problem was I didn't involve God in that. And I don't know how it would have turned out different if I had. I kind of feel that God let me go through this because there were some very important lessons he had to teach me about me. Maybe that's what God's doing with David here. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. But it's like David isn't quite as full of faith as he might have been earlier when facing Goliath or when he was Saul's primary general. He's, he's 
getting tired of being a fugitive and running and the pressure of taking care of all these families and people with them. So you can see that perhaps that's what's going on here. All right, let's go. keep going. Then David said to Achish, if I found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? Now, David's request to be assigned to one of the country towns, he, he kind of puts it in the, with the understanding that he doesn't want to be a burden on the royal city with all these families and his men and everything like that. Um, but David, you're going to see, is playing a long game here. And the truth, his long game is not loyalty to Achish. He's actually, David is stuck between two kings who would like, who more or less probably would like him dead. Achish and Saul. And he's never going to convince Saul to let him live. He has a shot at convincing Achish to let him live. So David is offering his services as a leader with a, with a good-sized force, army, to Achish. And he's saying, don't, don't let us be a burden on your royal city. Put us in one of the country towns. And, we'll, and he calls himself your servant. So... Akish is getting what appears to him to be a good deal. From Akish's point of view, Saul's primary general has now become Saul's enemy. And this is part of that. Maybe it's that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Maybe that's what's going through Akish's mind. That's what appears to be what David is playing here. So on that day, Akish gave him Ziklag. And it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. Now, again, this is the wisdom of David here. Um, David's not dumb. Achish doubtless placed David in Ziklag to protect Philistia against marauders from the south. All right, so it's in the southern part of Philistia. His settlement there anticipates the subsequent ownership of Ziklag by the kings of Judah. In other words, it's it's setting the stage. This From this point on, Ziklag will always be looked after by the kings of Judah. Um, and he lived here for a year and four months, it says. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Now from ancient times, these people had lived in land extending to Shur in Egypt, Whenever David attacked an area, he didn't leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes, and then he returned to Achish. All right, this is David playing the long game. David's practice of not letting any man or woman live kept any man or woman from getting a report back to Achish, the king in Philistia, about what had happened. This practice would conceal his double dealings with from Achish. Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, oh, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of Jermail, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought, 
they might inform on us and say, this is what David really did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he's become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. So David would raid these people who were actually enemies of Judah. Get this. David's practice whenever he attacked an area was not to leave a man or woman alive, right? We just read that. Unlike earlier in the Old Testament where you could see where God had told a, a, an army or a general or a prophet or a judge not to, for, he called for the total annihilation of a, of a population. It was for religious purposes. David here kills everyone, so no survivors would be left to tattle on him to Achish. And in addition to garments, he took as plunder only animals. Hmm. Now, although David was raiding these Geshurites, Gerzites, and Amalekites, he told Achish that he was raiding various sub he was raiding various subdistricts of the Negev that belonged to or were controlled by Judah. So he let Achish think that he was actually raiding towns and areas controlled by Israel. But it was far enough away from Gath and Achish so that Achish would be ignorant truly of his movements. So David was out and out lying to him, saying, oh, I'm raiding Judah. But in fact, he was raiding the enemies of Judah when he was in with the, with the Philistines. This would buy him favor with the people of Judah, which would come in handy later on when after Saul dies and David's in the process of becoming king. So he's buying favor with Achish because he's lying to Achish. Achish thinks, oh, he's, he's destroying these, the, these cities of uh, Judah, Israel. And he's getting Judah's confidence because he's actually destroying their enemies. So David is playing the long game. David's playing, uh, he's playing with Achish. He still knows he's going to be king of Israel. And being with Achish buys him safety from Saul for a time for all his men and families. And then, but he has to walk this really shaky double dealing game that he's doing. And it's working. Achish believes that he has become a stench to Israel and that Israel has kicked David to the curb and he thinks that David is going to be his forever. Hmm. To his detriment, Achish trusts David and is therefore deceived by his report. He is confident that David the Israelite has become odious to his own people and will thus be forever a servant of Achish, the Philistine for life. This is David the tactician at his finest. He's protected from Saul. He's convinced Achish that he's really out marauding and... Uh, destroying Achish's enemies, which he's not, 
but he's actually destroying the enemies of Judah, which buys him favor and gives him cachet with Judah. And down the road, that becomes very important. So what do I get out of this? Well, it's funny. God, God continually reminds me of that period in my life where I lost everything. And I didn't know some days, I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. Um, I didn't know if we could make the house payment. And when you're under that kind of pressure, you're kind of forced into a corner to make decisions that maybe you might not normally make. Like David here, I don't see David calling on God, depending on God, like he did before. Um... I didn't call on God. I didn't depend on God in that time of my life. But that doesn't mean I was evil. It just meant the pressure got to me. I was doing the best I could do with whatever I had to do with. That's David. And that doesn't mean that God's not involved in his life at this point. God is very much involved in David's life. Even if David apparently is not as involved in God's life. Does that make sense? We're not always going to walk in complete faith and obedience to God. Mankind is just not wired that way. Now, I have given my life to God. I trumpet his name whenever I have a chance to. I, I'm doing my dead level best to order my life in accordance with what I see the scripture telling me to do. I mean, I'm doing my best to be my best for God because I love God. He He sent his son to die for me. And I feel, I just feel an inner drive and obligation to obey him. But there are times in my life where sometimes I push that to the back burner. And not because I'm out to do evil or anything, but I get so caught up in in I got to care for my wife. I got to care for my children or, or grandchildren or whatever that I tend to take the front seat. I tend to get behind this, the, the, the wheel of the car. And yes, I would be better off if God were behind the wheel of the car. But the truth is, that doesn't always happen. And it didn't happen here. And I, I see God at work in David while at the same time, I don't see David leaning into God like he did before. That's one of the reasons I like David. David, I can identify with that. It doesn't make it right. It, it just shows the humanity of David. And it reminds me of my humanity that even when I stray away from what God has told me, clearly told me to do before, God is still there with me. And it also shows me that I'm not living in a relationship based on legalism and rules, where if you obey the rules, God blesses, and if you don't obey the rules, God doesn't. You know what? The truth of the matter is this. If you are in God's hands, you will be blessed. doesn't mean you won't suffer. It doesn't mean you won't go through hard times. But no matter what those hard times are, God will go through them with you, even if you didn't initially invite him into those hard times with you. This is the kind of thoughts that are coming out of this. I don't see David calling on God. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't. 
Perhaps we'll find out later that he did. But the truth of the matter is this. David was taking care of his own. And God is going to use this to shape David into the king he wants David to be. Maybe this time with the 600 men and their families is giving David valuable training in leading people, in being a leader, in being a, a king in a much smaller degree. Maybe this is what the thing that's going to make him such a great king of Israel and a compassionate uh, king for his people. I don't know. My mind's swirling around a lot of this stuff. But I know this. Our God is able to work everything up for the good, for those who was called out once. That's David. That's me. Perhaps that's you. David did his best with what he had. That's all that we can ask of anybody. Huh. Okay, my thoughts are kind of meandering all over the place today, so I think this is a good place to stop. Here's my coffee. Lo, it's still very good. And I'm Paige, and I am out of here. Have a great, fabulous day. Bye-bye. So, what did you think about today's Bible devotional? Email me and let me know your thoughts at ffog at me.com.